When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. All right, Penn State fans, welcome into a special edition of Penn Live's Blue White Breakdown our Penn State football podcast. It's Ohio State week. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Johnny McGonigal. We have an extra special guest, Stephen Means of Cleveland.com, uh, handles the Buckeyes, uh, along with a couple other guys. They do a great job. It's a huge week. First of all, Stephen, welcome to the show. We have a lot to get to, but how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. You know, it's a top 10 matchup week, man. It's This is this is the type of stuff we do our jobs for, these big games right here. So I'm excited. I was going to say, you know, uh, we, when we were talking to Drew Aller this morning, you know, he mentioned that these are the kind of games that you come to Penn State for. These are the kind of games that Ohio State goes to Ohio State for. These are the kind of games that we live for, right? I mean, you know, the top 10 matchups, the, these primetime marquee games, uh, really looking forward to it. Listen, we covered Purdue, Purdue, Ohio State last week. I don't cover Purdue, so, like, I'm just – Unlike the players who have to, you know, play the game and focus on the moment, I'm looking ahead to Penn State, and that's now I have to do that this week. I can focus on what's right here in front of me. Stephen, um, for for the Penn State fans that are listening in, I think I think they know that this is a pretty good Penn State team. I think they think it might be Penn State's deepest team that he's had in ten years, but they know the history of Penn State, Ohio State under Coach Franklin. And I think even though they're undefeated, they're pretty nervous about this game. Um, my question for you, though, is how do you think uh, Coach Day, his staff, and the players view the Penn State matchup, given the fact that since James has been here, Penn State's only won once, and it was in 2016, and it was a pretty big upset. Ohio State looked to be in control. I only say that because I know Ohio State really, really looks forward to the Michigan game. That is their game. So I was just curious – what you? How do you think they approach it? Day said something interesting today. He, the fact that these games are always four quarter games. It's always been that way, and it's always going to be that way. They understand. It's not the Michigan game, obviously. So the cultural aspect of it isn't quite there. You know, they're not playing time for war throughout the Woody Hayes athletic. They're not crossing out the piece and doing all that extra stuff. But they do understand that this is going to be a competitive game. Because history has told us that regardless of who wins, this is always a four quarter game and you come out of this game with a couple bumps and bruises. And I think both sides, especially this year, have some stuff to prove. Obviously, both sides breaking in a new starting quarterback. They have five star pedigrees, but you're still breaking in a new starting quarterback where I think it's fair to see, say both of these teams through six or seven weeks here are the defenses are arguably in conversation to be the best in the country, both on Penn State and Ohio State side. While I think both sides are trying to figure out, okay, what are we dealing with here in the quarterback situation with Drew Aller and Kyle McCord? 
Stephen, it's interesting that you mentioned what Ryan Day was talking about, it being a four-quarter game. And James Franklin said something similar today. We're, we're recording this uh, Tuesday afternoon at, you know, at his press conference. Uh, he was talking about how most of Penn State's games, I mean, really all of Penn State's games you know, this season uh, have been one-handily. I mean, you look at the West Virginia game, even winning by – uh, what they won by there, you know, Illinois, Northwestern, like these games were not in question late in the game and Penn State hasn't been in a four quarter game yet this season. I know Ohio State has against Notre Dame. Uh, so that's a good experience for Kyle McCord in that group. But he said the same thing, that this could be a, a game that comes down to the final two minutes, of, you know, the last possession. It's been the case before in this series. And, uh, you know, I know all three of us expect a really tight game, too. So it's going to be I think it's going to be really interesting just that that dynamic, right, that you, you're not going to win this game in the first quarter. Yeah, from Kyle McCord's perspective, obviously he went through this in Notre Dame, and I think we learned a lot about him, especially on that last drive about how he doesn't really get phased in those moments. But how do you build on that? Because Maryland's a pretty quality opponent, but they started slow. Purdue, they started fast, but it's also Purdue. They're, in a, they're a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team in the first year of a brand-new head coach. That's a rebuilding program as is. So it's almost like we saw a little bit of what Kyle McCord can be, but can he take that next step? We've seen the last three, three Ohio State starting quarterbacks in year one. They were Heisman Trophy finalists. Now that's a high bar, but it's the bar here. That's It's, it's the reality of the situation, and that, that's what we expect. Do we start to see Kyle McCord take off in that trajectory while also making sure that the pieces around him aren't putting too much on Kyle McCord's plate where he has to go be Superman the way we saw Caleb Williams have to do with Notre Dame this past weekend and it not work? And, and Stephen, just, you know, I, I guess I don't, Bob, I don't mean to jump too far ahead, but while we're talking about Kyle McCord, uh, I actually asked Franklin today about Kyle, uh, who is someone who's very familiar, you know, Penn State's very familiar with him. Uh, having recruited him uh, from South Jersey, went to St. Joe's Prep uh, in Philly, uh, obviously a teammate of Marvin Harrison Jr. in high school. But uh, you know, Penn State actually has Gabe Infante, who is you know St. Joe's Prep's former head coach. They have him on staff as an analyst. So they were familiar with him from when you know he was a recruit. They're familiar with his game now. And you mentioned it, Stephen, just the, the offense kind of feel that both offenses really feeling themselves out and you know, they're taking what the defense is giving them and you know, handling these first year starting quarterbacks pretty similarly. And Franklin acknowledged that, that, you know, they're leaning on the weapons and, and the pieces around them uh, to basically make them better. And both have big arms, you know, Drew and, and Kyle. And it, it's not like, you know, Sean Clifford, the four year starter is out there and it's not like CJ Stroud, the the guaranteed first round pick is out there, you know, what he's been doing the last two years against Penn State. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Penn State has a quarterback who is from Ohio and <laughs> Ohio State. Now, granted, he's technically from Jersey, but he went to high school in Pennsylvania. I think that's just an interesting little wrinkle. But yes, Kyle McCord has. I remember the Oregon game, and Brian Day has brought this up a couple of times how during that Oregon game in 2021, CJ Stroud threw 54 passes. That's a lot for a starting quarterback in his second game as a starter. And you were expecting C.J. Stroud to be something that it's probably not realistic to expect him to be. I think that is where Kyle McCord was for the Notre Dame game. But if you remember that 2021 Penn State game, Penn State-Ohio State game, C.J. Stroud was better. He wasn't perfect. Neither was Justin Fields in 2019. Neither was Dwayne Haskins in 2018. But they showed progression. I don't think Kyle McCord has to be perfect on Saturday. No one is expecting him to be, but he does need to show a level of progression to where by the time this team gets to week 12, potentially a playoff if all this works out, he's the quarterback that Ryan Day thought he could be. Yeah. 
Guys, we're talking, so we're talking a lot and deservedly so about McCord and obviously Mar- Marvin Harrison, right? And Drew Aller going back to Ohio. But I don't know how you guys feel, but th- to me, this feels like a nasty, nasty defensive game that the game will, I think, I, I really believe that the game is going to be decided either by both defenses or one of these defenses. And I want to just ask you, Stephen, did you honestly have JT Tumalau on your bingo card last year to literally win the game at Beaver Stadium when it looked like it was going to be a fantastic finish? Last team with the ball wins. Even I mean, Sean Clifford played one of his better games up until the final eight minutes of that of that game. Do you recall just what what was going through your mind when you saw him aligned as a left defensive end? They took advantage of Bryce Effner, seventy two at right tackle. They didn't they didn't go against Olu, which was smart. And I'm sure I'm pretty sure we're going to see it again on Saturday. And Penn State's going to have to counter. But do you just remember what was going through your mind as you saw him take over the game? I do. I remember exactly what was happening in those situations. And I, the, the fact that the defensive end played that well against Penn State for Ohio State, that's become kind of habit here. You go back to what Joey Bosa did. You know, Chase Young emerged in 2018. It's like, oh, that dude's going to be the number one pick in an NFL draft one day. And then he came back in 2019. It's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft one day. Remember Tommy Togiai, to a lesser extent, in 2020 did some things. Jerron Cage has the scoop and score in 2021. It's almost this tradition, and so we're wondering who's going to be that guy this year. I look at a guy like Jack Sawyer, who we've been waiting to see emerge. Maybe he can do that. But the JT situation is such a – I don't even know what to call it. The first the first force interception was just, you know what, you made a good play on the ball. Okay. All right, JT, you're rolling. And then you pick up – then you pick one off yourself, and I'm like, you should not be able to do that. You are not an outside linebacker, my guy. What are you doing? The two sacks, to your point, they took advantage of the weaker side of Penn State's def- offensive line because if you're, none of his sacks came up against Olu. Now, he's going to line up against Olu a lot more often on Saturday than he did last year, so I think that is a good matchup between two potential first-round NFL draft picks. I thought he held his own against Joe Alt. I thought it was a back-and-forth, which is what all you can call for. When you've got an NFL player going up against another NFL player, if it's back-and-forth, that's a good day as long as nobody dominates the other guy. Then you start to ask questions. but. I think I remember <laughs> I looked over at my uh, my colleague, Nathan Baird, right before he got the pick six. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Let me let me guess. He's going to get a pick six next. And then he gets the pick six. And I'm like, OK, well, he's he's left earth for this game. That's not rep- that's not he can't do that again, guys. Now, it got asked to Jim Knowles on Tuesday when we talked to him. He's like, I'm expecting him to do that again. It's like no one is expecting J2 to him out to do every single one of those things. But there is an expectation that this guy is starting to cook a little bit. He didn't get a sack until the Maryland game. And then he got a sack. And then he had a sack and a half against Purdue last week, one of which was with him and Jack Sawyer, which I, I even tweeted this out. That's the pass rush that people have thought that Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa could be since they arrived at Ohio State in 2021 as five-star recruits. And it looks like it's starting to simmer a little bit. Now, can they do it against a, a talent-equated opponent? So if JT comes out, he's not going to have two sacks, a strip sack, two interceptions, a pick six, a cartwheel into the end zone, and a 45-yard touchdown pass. No. But if he can pressure a young Drew Aller, and that, I think that's the key here. Sean Clifford, he did that against a veteran. That was a six-year veteran. It's even more important that he and Jack Sawyer, and you can throw Tyleek Williams into that conversation, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton. It's very important that this, this defensive line sets a tone because you are playing against a starting quarterback who is in his sixth or seventh game as a starter. 
Stephen, you mentioned JT going up against Joe Alt, you know, in the Ohio State, or excuse me, the, the Ohio State Notre Dame game. And then now, you know, if JT is matched up against Olu, I mean, this is just the dream for guys like Mel Kuyper and yeah. Todd McShay <laughs> and Jordan Reed, these guys who grind the tape and want to see. I mean, for every casual college football fan that's going to tune in uh, to this weekend, you're going to have Kalen King against Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, that's going to be a great matchup. There seems like there's just great matchups across the board. Bob, you referenced the right side of Penn State's offensive line. You know, Bryce Effner uh, eating it a bit last uh, year. I mean, Caden Wallace, <laughs> Drew Shelton, uh, these guys who you know could be rotating in at right tackle are going to have a tall task ahead of them with JT and Jack Sawyer. And on the flip side, too, uh, you know, Chop Robinson is playing really well right now for Penn State off the edge. Adisa Isaac uh, is not only getting into the backfield and applying pressure, but getting those sacks. Deny Dennis Sutton. A uh, former five-star guy. This feels like a game, maybe that he could announce himself in, in a big way. Yeah, we we spent the first part of this podcast talking about Drew and talking about Kyle McCord, uh, but really the pass rushes on both sides of the ball could really dictate this thing. And you're talking about two pass rushes going against first-time starting quarterbacks in this type of atmosphere. It's 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 a cliche to say football games are going to be run run in the trenches. But I think that's even more apparent in a situation like this where Ohio State's offensive line is a big question mark every single week because there's been some recruiting misses. And so the talent, this, there's not a Wyatt Davis, a Josh Myers, a Paris Johnson, a Dewan Jones. And I mean, you can keep going down the list there at there in Munford. That's not on this offensive line this year. You're talking about a Josh Simmons who played right tackle at San Diego State. And they're asking him to be your left tackle. Josh Fryer, he's been decent. But there's not a first-round ceiling there. Donovan Jackson probably has the highest ceiling of all those guys, and he struggled for the first couple of weeks here. And you've also got a brand-new starting center in Carson Hensman, along with six-year vet Matthew Jones, who's gone from utility guy to now second-year starter. They were better against Purdue, but also Purdue's a lower-level run defense. So it's, it's a combination of can Ohio State run the ball? Can they get the push they need to be able to run the ball while also – can they protect Kyle McCord? Is he going to, be, going to be comfortable back there and be able to get the, the ball to these weapons in Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, Emeka Abuka, if he plays, Xavier Johnson, and on down the list? Stephen, um, I, I, saw, I saw Marvin at Big Ten Media Days. So did Johnny. Uh, I thought I, I really enjoyed how he handled himself uh, at the podium. I believe he was dressed in his dad's uh, Colts colors. I think he was in a blue, blue suit, and he, he was rocking, I think, some really sweet sneakers. But – it must have been. It must be just a treat to watch a guy like that work every 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 Saturday. And as as good as Ohio State's room has been, uh, with Brian Hartline kind of bringing in the talent, is it fair to say that there isn't really? I, I mean, I know uh, I, Jamison Williams was an Ohio State guy. He's he was a high he was a high pick. Olave high pick. You know, all, Garrett Wilson high pick. Jackson Smith high pick. But there's really no one quite like. Marvin Harrison from a from a size perspective, and just so the Penn State fans know, Stephen, there I don't see any way that Manny Diaz will ever allow any of his corners without help to go against this guy because you're just asking for you're just asking for a long completion. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best one to come through the room so far, without question, and that's with what Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have already turned into into the NFL here, without question. Now, ask me that question again in like three years. They got this kid by the name of Jeremiah Smith who I think is Marvin Harrison Jr. On It's like, no, I don't have a Hall of Fame dad, but I grew up in Florida and my cousin's Geno Smith, you know? So 
ask me, it's, it's a, when we look back on Brian Hartline's run of Ohio State wide receivers, I think we're, it's still so early. That's the crazy part about it. So four or five years from now, when maybe Brian Hartline has moved on and we look back on that room, it's going to be a fun discussion trying to rank where these guys fit in. Because then you're not even in, you're not even including the guys from history like Chris Carter and you know, you know Michael Thomas and on down that list is Joey Galloway. So th- it's going to be a fun conversation. If they go one on one against Marvin Harrison Jr. for sixty minutes, last year's game is going to be that probably doubled. I, Kalen King might be a first round corner, and I have a lot of respect for Kalen King. I had a lot of respect for Joey Porter Jr. last year as well, and we saw what happened. It's he gets a step, and it's we. It was the, I think it was the third play of the game. Ohio State went deep, and it was a catch. And then it was like, okay, this is what Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing today. He, the world's about to find out who he is. It's not a. It's a bad idea. Now, I think it's easier for Penn State to sell out on taking him away the way Notre Dame tried to do if Emeka Buka doesn't play. But that's the issue here. If Emeka Buka is eighty percent healthy, and he plays in that game. Notre Dame ran into that problem of, okay, we're going to sell out on 18, but there's another first rounder here in the slot, and he's pretty darn good as well. It's, uh, that's the issue here is how does Penn State you know, balance? We can't let 18 be the reason we win while also not being so focused on him that the rest of this room is able to get going. And, and on top of that, too, it's, it's bringing pressure because we've seen that you know, Manny Diaz has no qualms about, you know, scheming up different different blitz looks, different pressure looks. And we talk so much about Kyle McCord being a first-year quarterback and getting to him. Uh, I think Penn State's going to need to get with get there with four, if not maybe five, uh, because you can't really sell out uh, to blitz as much uh, when you have that talent at wide receiver, especially if Emeka plays uh, and if he's playing out of the slot and, he, and he's healthy. That's going to be a big day for Daquan Hardy uh, on the inside to keep up with him. But, you know, Stephen, you mentioned, I think it was three plays into that game last year, Marvin Harrison, you know, he caught that 37-yard ball down the right sideline. It was Kalen King in one-on-one coverage. And all Marvin did was get one step on him, and he got him. Uh, he also got him on a 21-yard catch at the end of the first half down Penn State's sideline, a, a drive that ended in no points for Ohio State. But it was a little 21-yard comeback route, and – you know, Kalen was running the route with him, but you know, Marvin's just so good at making that separation so late in his route that it's almost impossible for a corner uh, to really do much with him. And so, if if Penn State's going to run one on one and trust Kalen the entire day, I mean, it's hard not to expect him to get burnt once or twice. I mean, every good corner in the country that he's there's going to be NFL corners that get burnt one on one by Marvin Harrison for the next ten years. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a really intriguing. I, I'm intrigued to see how Manny plays this, how Manny Diaz decides to one try to bottle him up, uh, but also you know, still provide the pressure that you feel like you need against this Ohio State front. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Marvin is he's. I think he's probably coming off one of his worst games of his career, which is hilarious to say about a guy who had six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. That's, but that's his standard. He had three drops. He had three drops all last year with like 118 targets, and he had three drops against Purdue. It just wasn't a good day by Marvin Harrison Jr. standard. We're leaving the Woody today, and he's back in there working on the Monarch machine. Never goes home. Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, Bob, you said it earlier. You, you, do you appreciate it? It's hard to because it's in your face all the time. It's just you're used to him outworking everybody and just doing freak stuff. So it's like, oh, okay, Marvin just, yeah, he does that. Okay, whatever. I'm going to go back to my writing. But I do wonder if it's in the back of his mind that I didn't play well last week. 
the, the standard in this room is high. And as a room, the wide receivers didn't necessarily play well. So is Marvin and a Julian and a Mecca, if he plays, you know, Carnell Tate's starting to come along and play well there. Xavier Johnson, are they looking at this as a challenge of we need to respond, we need to bounce back from a Purdue game? It was a little wet and rainy and, and, and windy, but we need to have a better day against a better opponent. So I am wondering how quickly they try to get Marvin Harrison Jr. established and if he comes out trying to prove a point early. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Steve, we, we touched on the uh, Ohio State pass rush and JT and all those guys, Sawyer, right? I don't want to sell the linebackers or the secondary short, though. And I was just curious if, if you could kind of just explain to maybe the Penn State audience a little bit. Jim Knowles' style of defense is a little bit different, I think, uh, than than I think Penn State fans are used to seeing. I believe he's in his second year. He likes to lot. He likes to do a lot with a four-two-five, which you, I guess you means it's essentially a lot of three safeties on the field. How do you think that has worked, and who has kind of become unlocked in his defense once you get past the defensive line? I thought I think in twenty twenty two it took steps in the right direction, and this year it's it's real because he's got the personnel in place to where this is not a, I think last year they looked like a top five defense and then they played good teams and they weren't a top five defense anymore. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I'm not expecting the JJ McCarthy. He blitzes and JJ McCarthy gets the ball out now to 70 yard touchdown. I'm not expecting Lathan Ransom to fall down in coverage. And so Georgia scores a touchdown this time around. I'll start with the linebackers, Tommy Eichenberg, Second team consensus All-American last year. He's just been Tommy Eichenberg again. He just does his job. Really, really. It's like the Marvin Harrison thing. It's You don't take it for granted. You're just expecting him to play at a certain level. I think Jim Knowles has been more open to playing more guys at linebacker. Last year, it was his Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers always out there. He has made it a point. He even brought it up on Tuesday that he wants Cody Simon to play. And Cody Simon, I think, has been their best linebacker in the run in the run game so far so expect it I would expect them some level of a rotation at that will linebacker spot while Tommy Eichenberg just kind of mans the Mike linebacker spot the corners are better this year because partially they're healthy <laughs> I say that's knowing that Denzel Burke also was dealing with an injury so he might not play but Denzel Burke's played like an all-american a first team all-american first round pick the first six weeks of the season and I've got if he's available Notre Dame tried him once and then never went his way again. And he doesn't like that. He wants teams to come at him more often than not. But I think he's been one of the better corners in the se- this season. If he's healthy, that's a big plus for Ohio State's cornerback room. They've got Davis and Igbenosin on the other side, a guy from Ole Miss who transferred here for his second year of college football. Lil Hansey, very physical, 
but it hasn't come to bite him in the butt yet. But I am wondering if eventually that's coming where you start seeing some pass interference calls because he's very handsy. And I think Jordan Hancock's got some skill. They play him in the slot. They'll play him outside as well. Denzel Burke in the preseason said he was the best off-cover off corner, corner he's ever seen. So he fits perfectly in that slot rotation. He shares that spot with Sonny Styles, who you guys remember Isaiah Simmons? It's that. It's it's that. It's he's it, the thing is he showed up early last year when he should have been a senior in high school, and then you look out there against Georgia and he's covering Brock Bowers, and he did pretty pretty well. He's built on that this year. His ceiling is high. It's super high, and they're being careful how much they throw at him. But I do think this is a game where. We're going to see just how close to his ceiling Sonny Styles is. And then you talk about those other two safety spots. Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom have been very quality, very quality this year. I know the Athletic, they put out a, a story and they were talking with coaches who have, who have played both Penn State and Ohio State. I think the defensive line is working off the reputation of having two Boses and Chase Young. They're better this year, of course. They're better this year. But the secondary has been the best part of Ohio State's defense in 2023, you know, contrary to the opinion of what a lot of those coaches have said. I think a lot of those coaches were working off of what we've seen in tw- basically since Jeff Okuda left, where in 2020, 2021, and 2022, it wasn't very good. The secondary has one, I think, sure, Denzel Burke's turning himself into a first-round draft pick. Sonny Styles is going to be a first-round draft pick one day. And then I think Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, Davison Igbenosin and Jordan Hancock are NFL players as well. So that they've been the most consistent group, which has allowed this defensive line to slowly come along the way it has the last couple of weeks. Well, Steven, it's interesting you talk about how, you know, the, the secondary has been the strength of Ohio State's defense so far and, and so much NFL talent, whether that's now or in a, in a couple of years with some of these guys. The, the the talking point around Penn State for the last, and, and Bob is you know going to laugh at this, the the explosive plays or the lack thereof <laughs> on, on this Penn State offense through the air. Uh, you know, it's gone viral with uh, James Franklin press conference clips. It's it's done the whole works. But they just really haven't tried much downfield. You know, and, and when they have, it always hasn't connected. And so if you're a Penn State fan and you're wondering, hey, are, are we going to get a big player to against Ohio State through the air, I would maybe lean on the run game over over trying to test the secondary. And you, know, you mentioned Eichenberg and how talented he is. Uh, and he can just, you know, he can put up 20 tackles in a game. He's that good. But, you know, if Penn State's going to win this game, I really think it's going to be with Nick, with Nick Singleton, with Katron Allen, uh, grinding out drives and grinding out points the way that they have already to this point this season. You know, 10 play, 12 play drives, uh, and they've been uber efficient on fourth down, uber efficient in the red zone. Uh, and so you're looking at how Katron Allen came back from his injury that he suffered at Northwestern and played well. Granted, it was against UMass, uh, but he looked like the same powerful guy uh, that he's been in his career so far at Penn State. So if you're looking at a Penn State side to trying to attack this Ohio State defense, I really think it starts with the run game. Yeah, I, I think. The lack of explosive plays by Penn State, it was brought up in Ohio State's press conference today. I, the thing is, I, that's where I think Jim Knowles' philosophy has evolved the most over the past year. He came into Columbus with this reputation of being this blitz-heavy guy. If you remember the Notre Dame game in 2022, his first call as Ohio State's defensive coordinator was a corner blitz, 
and it was the longest pass play Notre Dame had the whole game because he sent Denzel Burke on a quarter blitz. It's I brought up the J.J. McCarthy thing earlier. It was a blitz, and so he left the corners on the island, and it didn't work. He's backed off of that a little bit this year, and I think some of it is the personnel he has has been able to hold up a little bit more. He's been able to trust his defensive line to get home more often than they have in the past, so he can just rush with four a little bit more often. But they don't want to give up any explosive plays. A year ago, it was three to five explosive plays, I believe, and that was success if you limited a team to that. They don't want to give up any this year. He hates the term bend, don't break, just because it sounds weird to him, but they have become more of a bend, don't break defense, make you work it up the field. If you saw the Purdue game, Purdue's kicker was – he had a hard time. It was it was a rough watch. But that is the idea of what they want to do. They want to force you in the field because they want to force you to drive no explosive plays and you finish off drives with punting or with field goals and not with seven points. All right, we're about to uh, wrap up this really special edition of the Blue White Breakdown. I'm Bob Flounders with Johnny McGonigal, our special guest, Stephen Means of Cleveland Com. Stephen, before we let you go, I'm, Johnny, you might have one more question. My question for you is this. Look, last year, even though it was kind of a, a weird fourth quarter, there were still 75 points on the board. I've been looking at this game. I watched I watched the Ohio State-Maryland game pretty closely. Um, I, I, do believe, uh, I do believe in this Ohio State defense, absolutely. I'm a little curious about their running game and, and how healthy those backs are going to be, but – any way you slice it, I think both teams do a really good job of protecting the ball. Both quarterbacks protect the ball. I mean, they, they both haven't really faced a pass rush quite like the one they're going to face on Saturday. But to me, 75 points last year, I think I think this game is going to be played in the 20s. I don't think either side's going to get into the 30s unless something really strange happens. But to me, this is a game, I mean, Penn State and Ohio State, you go back a couple of years, and it's it's a different kind of football. But they played a defensive struggle in two thousand eight. They played the two thousand and two Ohio State team that played Ohio uh, Penn State. Uh, Ohio State won the national championship that year. That was a vicious game. That was thirteen seven. There was a lot of NFL talent on the defensive side. It feels to me. I know the rules dictate offense, and I, I just feel like this is going to be a pretty low scoring game. I think it's going to hang in the balance. And uh, I was just wondering, do you see any possibility? of this game getting into the 30s? The only way I think this game gets into the 30s is if there's like multiple explosive plays where it's explainable. I don't think these offenses are just going to light it up. I My first Ohio State-Penn State game on the beat was 2019. And that game, Ohio State won 28-17. to 17. And it felt like Ohio State controlled it the whole way, but they didn't control it by putting up. They literally scored one touchdown a quarter. And then Penn State got it rolling in the third quarter and made it a game. For either team... I, I think that's how this plays out, where Ohio State's going to move the ball some, Penn State's going to move the ball some, but this is about defense. This is going to be Big Ten football in mid to late October, where it's gloomy outside. The weather's not going to impact things, but these are two of the three best defenses in the country, with the other person in that conversation <laughs> being Michigan, who bought, which is crazy to me, that the top three defenses in the country are all not only in the same conference, but the same division. So we get to see all of them go up against each other. I think it's played in the 20s, and that's not because I don't have faith in these offenses. It's because I have that much faith in how these defenses are going to play, where this is going to be a bit of a defensive game. Ryan Day's talked about it a couple of times, how he's had to let himself know it's okay to talk, to talk good about your defense. It's okay to win the game on the back of your defense. I think t- this Saturday is going to be one of those games where he has to be okay with if Kyle McCord is – only completing 55% of his passes and you only put up 24 to 27 points. 
that's okay because that might 24 to 27 points might win the game on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't I don't see this thing getting in the 30s. I think you'd have to have maybe a defensive score or two um, for that to happen. Uh, but even still, I see it. I see it being a tight game. And when you talk about tight games and in the 20s and you can't be settling for field goals when you string together those kind of long drives. And so I mentioned red zone efficiency earlier in the podcast. I think that's going to be huge for both teams uh, this weekend. I know Ohio State, I think they're around 60, 61 percent in terms of touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. Uh, you know, facing Notre Dame's defense, it's a little more difficult than what Penn State has had to face. They're at about 80 or 81 percent in that category. And so when both of these teams, when they get down into the red area, they have to capitalize. They First of all, they can't turn the ball over. And both teams have been really good about not turning the ball over this year. But if you, if you string together a long drive, you can't turn it over and you got to put up six. You can't put up three. Uh, because once the first team does that, once they put up three, it'll feel like a defeat you know, on the drive. And so I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be like the, the key to the game is just finishing off uh, your opportunities. I agree. I think it comes down to that. All right, Stephen Means, thank you so much. Check out his work on cleveland.com. I believe we're going to have another uh, podcast between uh, cleveland.com uh, and penlive.com featuring the one and only the one and only David Jones. Look for that, guys, later this week, but I think it'll probably be on the cleveland.com site. Uh, Steven, it's been a blast talking uh, with you. Uh, love the insight about the uh, and the, and the in-depth uh, reporting and uh, analysis about the Ohio State team. I, I learned a lot talking to you in the last half hour. So, Johnny, travel safe. Steven, looking forward to seeing you Saturday at the Press Box. Gus Johnson's going to be there. Joel Platt's going to be there. What else do you guys need to know? This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.